Voices are exotic dancers enter one by one. Make love to all of your orifices in your seduction. Hello and welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. Today we're going to discuss something called Project Blitz. This is a Christian fundamentalist uh, group that is looking to essentially infiltrate our governmental systems at the local, at the state, at the uh, national level, and legislate their biblical values. This uh, episode was a two-parter, I believe, in its original format. I first recorded this with uh, a co-host you've heard from before, Jesse. He sat with me during my moral landscaping episodes, and he uh, was quite helpful in those episodes. Now, you'll have to excuse me in this episode. I am clearly under the weather. I'm sick and uh, low energy, and I did a fair amount of research for this episode, but was probably a little short with Jesse when I didn't absolutely need to be and didn't exactly bring my A game. But again, I was like essentially ill, like very ill. I did some, I had a lot of coughing and issues in the episode that I cut out, but if I missed a couple or I was coughing while Jesse was talking and he wasn't able to repeat himself, I'll have to leave it in. I think you get a lot from this episode. A couple things to keep in mind. Here is what Jesse told me before this episode. What I'm hoping is as we go along that I communicate it to you in such a way that you understand. And if you have questions, if, if it doesn't make sense, or if you want me to clarify something, I just want you to stop because I want it to be a more of a conversation rather than a lecture. I don't want it to be a lecture at all. All right. I'll ask questions for sure. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure you're with me. And, okay. and, and because some of this stuff is dumb and some of it is kind of infuriating. So if you've got those emotions, definitely let them ring through. Like we can, we can take that up. Yeah. Um, so just at the, at the beginning, I'm going to do uh, a bit of reading. It's going to be a little, uh, a little dry once I kind of get into it. So like I said, feel free to stop. And I'll probably just stop and ask you. And if you want to take it up and run with it, I'd appreciate it because I don't want it to just be me going on and on and on. No, it's no problem. Okay, sweet. So you can hear that he was encouraging me to interact with him as much as possible. He didn't want this to be a monologue and he really was excited for me to be a part of the interaction, the back and forth and to let out my emotions. Now, sadly, upon re-listening to this episode, there were some emotions that I wish I had held back. And then others, uh, I was just trying to be a good co-host, just trying to back him up. Uh, But it doesn't always come across that way, or it doesn't always come across as me being in the best mood. So I apologize for that. Uh, I apologize to him if he's listening. Originally, I told him I didn't want to publish this episode and mentioned it to him, largely due to how it ends or the, the sort of little scuffle that we get into, not scuffle, but the little argument we get into sort of towards the end of the of the episode. So you can see that Jesse wanted me to engage with him in this material. And uh, I'll let you judge whether or not that's the case. So let's listen in. Paul. Yes. Got a question for you. Sure. Have you ever heard of this thing called Pl- Project Blitz? Uh, yes. Project Blitz? Yep. Okay. Now I have anyway. You have now? I'm sorry to put that upon you. You told it to me a couple months ago and I, I've since looked it up. Yeah? Yeah, I've done a fair amount of research on it. Not a ton. Okay. Not well, like you. You've done a lot. Yeah, I spent some time. Can yeah, you... the, the more I got into it, the more I was like, we need to talk about 
about this all the time. Like everybody needs to know about this. Yeah, it's yeah. really important. Yeah, and it's not that hard to understand. I think some elements of it might have been designed to be a little difficult to understand, but I think it's actually pretty basic. Um, so I don't know. People are pretty dumb, though. Some people. Some yeah. people. Now, Project Blitz. Could you define it if you ha- if you had to? If if lives were on the line, what is yeah. Project Blitz? Go. It's essentially a publicly funded organization that is attempting to implement Christian right-wing ideology into our governmental systems. So they were trying to codify specific elements of what they're calling religious liberties and freedoms into, well, I don't know if they're going to get it into the Constitution, but they're probably going to try to legislate it at a state and local level and then move to a national level with, it depends on what topic you're talking about. But Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'd say that's that's got something going for it. I think there's a few things in your description. As far as the publicly funded part, mm-hmm. was that something you found out? Because I hadn't researched that, and I don't know how this, the, we're going to talk about a certain organization in a few minutes. I don't know how it, how it's actually funded. Well, it's what I mean is it's open to donations. It's oh, okay. completely funded by donations, and you can donate to it if you want to. Yeah, okay. And they have all kinds of websites to donate. Yeah, so they're it's, definitely... It's funded by people. It's not like it's not like one guy or one group of small people. Oh, okay. So gotcha. a lot of people are putting money into this. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked at all into their financial resources or backing or anything like that. I was looking at... They are vast. They are vast. Okay. Yes. Well, we'll get into that, I'm sure. I wanted to talk a little bit about... So, Project Blitz, as far as I understand it, is there's a central sort of brain. There's a, an organization that is in contact with many people all across the nation, probably across the world, too, if, if I know anything about their ambitions. But they their, their effort is to get people, you know, like this organization is located in Washington, but they want to get people in, let's say, Mississippi and Colorado and Alaska and every other place to act at, on their local officials to implement changes that come from that central brain there in Washington, D.C. So they have a bunch of different measures, model legislation and stuff like that. But specifically, this is a Christian movement. Definitely. Okay. And that, yeah, yeah that's the... That. Oh, okay. Yeah. I said that, but you didn't... Yeah. <laughs> I said that, but you didn't verify it. Surprise. That's why yeah. we're, we're, so, we're kind of interested in it is because you have, it seems like a very well-funded, well-organized group yeah. that is organized in a very smart way. Take, and it's very active. It's very energetic and working all the time too. And it's a Christian fundamentalist group. Get religious. Yeah. And so we're just going to go, we're going to go into that. I want to take a moment and talk about what the organization that Project Blitz comes from okay. and its founder. Okay. All right. So you have to go all the way back to two. 2005, if you can remember that far back. Yeah, no. No, it's no. too long ago. Yeah, no. The, the knots or the oddies. too much fun since then. The two th- I always just called them the 2000s. Yeah. So, in r- representing the great state of Virginia was a man named Randy Forbes. And he, w- he was in the House of Representatives and he had been elected to to serve the people of the state and to serve the people of the nation uh, in that, that high legislative body. Well, he's a religious man. He likes to pray. He's, he, he's not ashamed to say it and he formed he's a lunatic he's a fundamentalist okay he may be i, I don't know he is i looked it up okay <laughs> well we're, we're gonna hear from him in a little bit like public enemy number one <laughs> i'm gonna give him a chance to defend himself yeah. against these attacks paul uh, now i don't disagree with you but you gotta say the man the man seems to be pretty smart because what he did is he formed a prayer well, it was not mutually exclusive it was just it was just a a sort of a weekly prayer session but uh these guys when you get them all in a closed room they can't help but scheming. Uh, about a decade later, the uh, well, uh, this was this this informal organization came to be came to be known as the Congressional Prayer Caucus. Now, a caucus 
is just a collection of like-minded folks inside of the legislature. So the Senate has caucuses. Is the House of Representatives has caucuses. You know, the Democrats have their own caucus. Is it caucuses or cockeye? It could be. I think it might be cockeye. Cockeyes. That sounds better. Cockeye. 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 You know, there's like the Congressional Black Congressional Black Caucus, a Congressional Hispanic Caucus. There are Freedom Caucus. There's tons of different caucuses. Mm-hmm. And so he had the, the Congressional Prayer Caucus. I think that was mainly it. They were there to, to ask for God to help our country and, and all that stuff that religious folk do. And I'm not against that. Um, the, the This guy, Randy Forbes, though, he wanted to take it a step further. And they formed a different organization called the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation. This is not from the House of Representatives. This is like a standalone organization. And uh, they are the ones who created Project Blitz, and they're the ones that propagate it and coordinate with people and communicate, and they run a lot of social media. Um, I don't know if Project, how successful they are. They, they sort of brag about, like, they got this much legislation pushed in this many states. I don't know how accurate or true or not that is, but uh, I, I tried to look for Congressional Prayer Caucus stuff local, like, if, to see if Colorado had one, and it was not very clear. All the stuff I found was from the national website talking about Colorado, so. Well, Congressman Doug Lamborn okay. is the, I don't know which district, is on the Congressional advisor, Advisory Membership of, he's on the Congressional Advisory Membership Board. So these are the people in Congress that are advising the Paracock okay. Foundation. Oh, okay. So they're like the local these rep- are the representative. Boots, these are the national boots on the ground. Or the local boots from the national. Yeah, there's... Doug Lamborn and who else? There are four senators and one, two, three, there's about 25 congressmen. Okay. But the only one from Colorado is Doug. So he's our local SOB. <laughs> he's the guy that if you see his car, you should take a shit on the hood or something like that. That's not an official... No, that's my policy. private thing. Okay, that's thanks. what I do. Thanks. No, this is the guy that we would vote out. This is the guy that there we you go. do everything we can to get rid of. So currently, they have 90 members involved in their prayer caucus. And this was during the 114th Congress. I don't know what that means, but that must have been sometime after 2005 and maybe before 2015. Or I mean 2016. I don't know which Congress we're on right now. I don't either, but... Let's see. So in the last election, the Democrats took a bunch of seats. So I imagine the prayer caucus shrunk after the 2018 election. Maybe. I don't know. There are quite a few members in Congress. There's like 400 and some. So 438 in that one house and 100 in the other. Yeah. So 90, I don't know, maybe 20% ish. Let's just go with that. It's probably changed a little bit since the 114th Congress. The other, the other number I saw was from an, an article in 2017 said it was 70 members Okay, are in our U.S. representatives or Senate. A few dozen. So a lot. So we've got several dozen representatives and senators who are praying together. Uh, and that's fine. Um, I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do. And they're going to use the taxpayer's time on the job in the way that they see fit. They were elected to represent the people. And if that's what they choose to do on, you know, congressional hours, that's that's their business. It is? Yeah. Apparently, that's what they're represented for. And that's how Doug Lemburn... I'm sure he doesn't pray constantly. I'm sure he does other things, too. Um, but we're, well, I'm not really interested in the, the actual caucus itself anymore. It's just a bunch of legislators doing what they do. I'm interested in the caucus, the prayer caucus foundation. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, they just borrowed the name, but they're sort of more, they're not doing the legislative side because they're not in the legislature. They're just an organization, like private organization. I don't know. I mean, I have to kind of give them a grudging respect. It seems like a lot to organize, you know, to, to really try and get people to stir up trouble in all these places and try and get legislation passed. So, you know, you, you can't, uh, 
you have to give some respect for people who are just effective. Yeah, imagine what we could accomplish if we could get that kind of activity on the pro science education side. Yeah. That'd be pretty sweet. That'd be crazy. All right, so I'm just going to spend a little bit of time here, Paul, talking about Project Blitz and what it does. Because we've talked a little bit about taking laws and stuff and spreading it around. So um, what does that mean? So the current version of Project Blitz is the third that they've released. It's uh, This is the third annual report that I'm taking this information from. And uh, it gives a lot of very useful information in it. it. It definitely, it's not concealing its purpose. It is very effective at communicating exactly what it does because it wants religious people and especially politi- politically interested and or savvy people to pick this up and run with it. So, quote from the report from the forward. This report presents religious liberty laws, resolutions, and proclamations that are often modeled on those that have been proposed or passed in different states over the past few years. The model measures are divided into three categories based on type and subtype. End quote. So I'm going to jump down. Category one, legislation regarding our country's religious heritage. Heritage. Measures in category one mainly recognize the place of Christian principles in our nation's history and heritage. They deal broadly with our national motto, history and civics, including their Judeo-Christian dimensions. And then they have the examples, they, they have the model, model legislation written out. So there are five in this category one of legislation regarding our religious heritage. One, National Motto Display Act. Two, National Motto License Plate Act. Three, Civic Literacy Act. Four, Religion in Legal History Act. Act, five Bible Literacy Acts. So, Paul, I just wanted to get your feedback a little bit concerning that, concerning the, you know, considering like there's a group of people who are spending a lot of energy and time and money to try and get Bible Literacy Act passed or Religion and in Legal History Act. And we can go into these a little bit if you'd like more details on what they are. But like the National Motto Display Act, its its purpose is to get the national motto, In God We Trust, displayed as much in public as possible on private property and especially in public buildings such as schools, courthouses, in classrooms. That's its purpose is to get the national motto up. Well, one thing I can say is if you read their primary focus recommendations, the second primary focus is the public policy resolution favoring sexual intercourse only between a married man and woman. Well, hold on. We're going to get to that. I just want to take it one piece at a time. No, that's fine. I just want if like the response to this is that and I haven't read the Civic Literacy Act or the Bible Literacy Act, but my response just jump is to that the juicy stuff. No matter what these act what's in these acts, um, their overall goal and function is to move us towards a place where they can actually dictate who you have sex with. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. So, uh, so no matter well, what, I'm against this. Like this even if there's good stuff in the Bible Literacy Act, it plays a small part in a larger puzzle that they're trying to put together mm-hmm. um, to undermine religious freedom in the country and, yeah. and civil liberties. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. There's no question about it. Um, as far as like an organization trying to trying to put a civil literacy act in or any of these because these you know if if let's say your gymnasium of your neighborhood middle school has in god we trust up is that really going to make a big difference in a person's life one way or the other right christian kids who identify as christian will feel pumped up and kids who don't will feel what they feel they'll feel like they're excluded i don't know that's a good question because but does it really change anything in the long run you know the well hold on let me answer that so i think i think we have to at least take into account like the effect of advertising 
so has that changed us as people how we consume and what we seek out and and look for like yes billboards definitely you know if you see a billboard every night on your way home from work does that affect you i don't know what exactly the answer is but i would say it probably does to have that on a school gymnasium where every child is going to look at it all through lunch and every time they go to gym it's going to it's going to affect them it's going to change them and it's a it's in a way that i don't think is healthy yeah seeing it written on a public building is going to give it that air of authenticity or legitimacy Um, and so yeah i think we can move on from category one i think these are not huge you know the civil literacy act or the religion and legal history act these are gonna these are they're like electives classes and stuff like that not a huge deal um it would play you know a kid needs however many credits to graduate one elective here isn't gonna like change his or her life so these measures in category one are not a, a big deal I don't know. I think they're all a big deal. These are all small components to a much larger piece, a much larger machine that they're trying to build here to drive us essentially back into the dark ages. All right. And that's just, I mean, it it all starts with this one little piece. And as soon as they get one little bit nationwide, nationwide or whatever, they've already got people in Congress and the Senate and they've already got bills passed. Mm -hmm. According to the thing I read, something like nine. Well, I think just two years ago. I think the, like I said, I think the impact of these ones specifically are not huge, but you're right. They're like a foot in the door and or, or like a camel's nose in the tent. It's like once you have a little, once you have an inch of ground, you can use that to, to develop more. You can ha- develop a momentum, start to get wins. You can show, you can use like a small act like this or being able to put up, you know, in God we trust wherever you want gives you the chance to persuade people. It's evidence. So yeah, I agree with you. Um, even though I'd say each, the local individualized impact of these might not be huge. Yes, I agree with you that they're, they're uniformly bad. So I'm going to move on to category two. Mm-hmm. This one is even less, um, it's kind of ridiculous. It's resolutions and proclamations recognizing the importance of religious history and freedom. So the measures in category two focus on our country's Judeo-Christian heritage. Even though proclamations and resolutions are largely symbolic, they can still be used for positive purposes. One proclamation regarding Religious Freedom Day they have one for Christian Heritage Week, a proclamation recognizing the importance of bi- of the Bible in history. And of course, it's just in time for, for this time of year, Paul, proclamation recognizing Christmas Day. So if, Don't they already have that? <laughs> don't we already get the day off? <laughs> uh, not a The only people com- that have to work are football players. <laughs> only a few of them. So from, from the section in the report here, quote, the passage of a proclamation or resolution is a statement of public policy and resolution Resolutions and proclamations can also be used for educational purposes to be distributed to schools and teachers or churches and pastors. Pastors encouraging to observe the call and the measure or to educate their groups about its contents. So, you know, resolutions and proclamations don't really mean anything, but in, uh, you know, they say they say it is a statement of public policy. So it's an official act or policy statement from the government body that's saying it. This, this is their this is their their logic, their rationale for trying to get as many of these proclamations proclamations done. And I would uh, argue that in areas where maybe Republicans don't have a lot of power, being able to do a, a Christian Heritage Week or something like that might be a small measure that they can do that, that might not, you know, they might not be able to get anything really big pushed um, like what we're going to talk about in the, in the next category, which is the, the big ones. So from from my 
perspective, these are they're they're almost like meaningless. These kind of proclamations. So I don't know. Do you do you think they're very significant? Well, I mean, this is the so the way I see it is this is sort of there's acts and then there's these proclamations and these proclamations look like the rhetoric wing, right? Yeah. You've got religious like freedom day where they're going to have all kinds of rhetoric that they publish on that day, and I don't know if it'll be a specific holiday or what exactly the proclamation entails, but Christian Heritage Week that'll be where they can tell us all about Christian heritage and lie to us about all the stuff that Christians have done and not tell us about all the persecution of other religions, women and minorities and everything else. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like uh, earlier, the Civics Literacy Act, they talk about like the Pilgrim, the the Mayflower Compact, like they go way back to try and find religious heritage stuff, but they don't talk about like the the official secession of like all the southern states, like so many of them talk about God. You're like, there's so many things that they ignore, of course. I don't want to spend much more time on it just to indicate that it's it's just that they're willing to try big things but they're willing to try just these little resolutions too that there's really not a lot of political risk for putting something like this out not a lot of political gain either you know it's kind of a penny any kind of thing but you know a win's a win and, and they'll take it whatever kind of win they can get definitely that but to finish my thought I think it is really important that these proclamations be fought tooth and nail this is going to be their rhetoric wing I mean this is going to be what gets people to start thinking like them and them to get this stuff into schools and into kids heads early and try to sort of turn the masses I mean do we really need to know about the importance of the Bible in history and does that mean the Bible as history I don't know are they going to claim the Bible was historically accurate because we know for sure that it wasn't in this in this report they give a sample of model legislation but of, of course they don't they're very clear to indicate that they don't favor or oppose any specific piece of legislation it's up to the local lawmaker or uh, policy group or political action group or whoever whoever's taking it up and running with it it's up to them to customize it and, and make it say what they want to say so it's you know here's the tools but you know if you stab somebody with it or you hit somebody in the head with a hammer you know it's not my tools i didn't do it you know, it's kind of like that sure um anyway let's see so the last category, the last category of proposed legislation is the one that really bothers me. And it's the religious liberty protection legislation is what they call it. And this is how they, this is how they explain it, or this is how they describe it. The measures in category three include legislation that protects the ability of citizens to speak and act upon their religious convictions. These measures will have the greatest immediate impact on protecting religious liberties, but some of them are also the most hotly contested. So I'm going to jump down and you, you jumped the gun a little early or you alluded to this a little earlier, Paul. So, you know, the reason here, I'm going to share with you why this one is so troubling because I'm going to share with you, um, quote, public policy resolutions. One resolution establishing public policy favoring intimate sexual relations only between married heterosexual couples. And then they have one to resolution establishing public policy favoring reliance on and maintenance of birth gender. Three resolution establishing public policy favoring adoption by, by intact heterosexual marriage-based families. What does that mean, intact? <laughs> I guess non-divorced, maybe? Can't have your balls cut off? That sounds lame. Uh, just the foreskin. That's the only thing. I'm intact. If you lose anything past the foreskin, yeah, right. yeah, you're yeah. fucked. You got, you can't, well, you can't be, yeah, totally intact, right? No, um, I mean, this is just awful. This is the, if anything from this category, is, it's, it's only going to get passed in places where, that are basically theocracies, where the religious, um, you know the the religious the religious right pretty much has full control, um, and so it's uh, I don't I mean 
establishing public policy favoring reliance on and maintenance of birth gender. It's just so, I don't know. There's so many. Do you know she was born intersex? So she had both male and female characteristics. Like it's just, it's, it's nonsensical. And to, you know, for someone who identifies, who was born but has genitalia or a body in some way that doesn't match and wants to change it, uh, it's crazy that this group wants to, wants to pass resolutions that make it government policy, the policy of the land favoring you not doing that. You're not allowed to change your body. You just have to stick with what you were born with. It goes on from there. The Marriage Tolerance Act, Preserving Religious Freedom Act, aka Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or RFRA, Child Protection Act, Clergy Protection Act. Interesting that those are right next to each other. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. You should, yeah, you should separate them. There should always be a certain distance. Between. Paragraphs between them if you don't want to. I mean, are they that dumb that everybody that reads this isn't going to go, oh, oh, right, right, of course. Part where they're fucking kids. Licensed Professional Civil Rights Act. And then, of course, the Student Prayer Certification Act, the Teacher Protection Act, and Preserving Religious Freedom in School Act. I could share with you the specifics of them, but it's pretty much what you think. They it's couched in the term of protecting religious freedom. So if you are like it's if you're a teacher and you say something to if you if you, if you refuse to uh, acknowledge a child's a chosen name because it conflicts with their birth gender, for instance, um, it's it's to protect you or it, it's basically for eighth graders that never developed mentally past eighth grade. They just want to be able to make fun of and repress and suppress people, and they don't want to do it physically like they used to do in eighth grade, where they used to just beat people up. Like, smear the queer or whatever. Do that to this person. Let's go beat him up because he's fucking dumb or he thinks he's gay or he thinks he's a girl or whatever. They just want to have this eighth grade mentality and they want to actually legislate it. So... Instead of act- instead of being physical with somebody, now you can abuse them, uh, you know, vo- verbally, or you can in other some other way repress or suppress them, like these marriage rights and the birth gender one is just ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it makes madness. no sense. It's like, who are you to tell me what I'm gonna? It says public policy favoring reliance on and maintenance of birth gender. You have to maintain it, Paul. I think you've been. What does that the- even mean? Like, if I'm gonna wear a the dress, air out of your tires, man. I'm gonna wear a dress. Like, there's nobody's gonna stop me and I don't give a, you know, what are they going to do? Keep me from coming in public buildings? They'll lock you in jail where you can hang out with a bunch of handsome men. Yeah, but I still dig women. I just like to dress up like women. That's really common in trans, uh, transvestite communities. They dress up as women or men, but they still dig, they're still heterosexual. Do you know the comedian um, um, Eddie Izzard? Eddie Izzard. Yeah, he he uh, fancies women, but he, he likes to dress up as a woman too. Okay. Or that's his chosen gender. Yeah, it's like getting into the mind of your, your prey. He's really cool. I like him a lot. I don't think he's that funny though i like listening to his (laughs) stories like his stories are entertaining but i don't laugh that much i see not like some other comics where i just laugh all the time anyway go ahead what we have there is a plan from this this religious organization the congressional prayer caucus foundation they put out this project and there's there's actually it's it's hold on it's either 140 or 170. And I know if I just blurred it, I'll get the wrong one. It's almost 150 pages long, full of model legislation. But if you hypothetically were to contact the Congress or go to the website of the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation, you would find that they actually have a lot more information if you want to do something more specific. Rather than just picking this project, they have things that are customized based on what you're trying to achieve. So if you are a legislator, of course, you have your own special toolkit, but they have a lot of other interesting stuff. 
So, you know, booklets and pamphlets and shit like that. And also people you can talk to, no doubt. Um, I wanted to share because, you know, it's just, it's just a bunch of dusty old pages of paper. If it's, you know, if, if you think about it one way, but more significantly, what you have is a community of people. You have a lot of connections and ideas and, you know, inspiration and all that, you know, money. It can flow from one point to another. And that's what makes it so strong. So I want to take just a moment because I think you should hear the words of Randy Forbes himself. He's the originator of all this. And this clip is only about a minute long. And I think it does a good job uh, kind of describing or in his own words, you hear him describe exactly what it's all about. So here you go. We understand so many of your viewers have busy lives. They're being pulled in so many different directions. They have to get their children to school. They're working to make a living. They're having to cut grass. They're doing all the kinds of things that makes life special, but that we have to do to keep it going. And they don't oftentimes uh, have the time to sit down and develop these kind of strategies that will really make an impact on their communities or on their country. And what we try to do is to get the best people we can from across the country and say, let's develop those strategies and then pull them down to where any one of your viewers can just reach up and say, I can do that and pull that and start implementing that. As they do it, that overall collective impact starts moving this country. They can stop one of us. They can attack one of us. But when you start getting millions and millions of Christians across this country doing these kinds of things, it is almost impossible for them to put the brakes on that. That's what's going to turn this country around. All right. So that was former re- former Republican Congressman Randy Forbes, and he was on a, a show called The Truth and Liberty Livecast right there. So a couple things there. He does talk about the network. He talks about getting the best people and sharing ideas. And he drops right at the end, he drops this sort of paranoia. No, but he, he drops this sort of appeal to fear and appeal to paranoia, like they might get one of us, but they can't get all millions and millions of us. So I don't know. What do you think? Anything? Anything? Well, he is part of the executive team yeah. for Congressional Prayer Caucus. He's the first person on the list. Yeah, he's the top dog. And he is, uh, I mean, it's just, it's its kind of scary to see who, what other groups are impl- implicated in this. I mean, these guys get degrees from high quality schools. Deloitte and Touche is implicated. One of their consultants is working on the, as an officer. Okay. Um, New York Life Insurance and Securities. I mean, these, these are huge companies companies that potentially are in some way compromised because of this. I mean, maybe not compromised, they major players, proud. you know. So I have one more clip to share with you. This one is actually from Leah Carowan, who's the executive director of the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation. Um, now, I wanted to play her part cuz she goes into it a little bit more. I think she gives a, a better detail than than Randy Forbes did. And so I, the first voice you're going to hear is one of the hosts, hostesses of the Truth and Liberty livecast, but then you'll hear Leah Carolyn right after that. Specifically, how can people connect with you? And when you're talking about the things at the very local level, I think that's where a lot of people are like, I need some help. Sure. How do I get involved? Absolutely. Well, let me give you an example. In fact, uh, Congressman Forbes brought it up, the In God We Trust. So very strategically, um, the uh, Congressional Prayer Caucus members initiated House Resolution 13, and they reaffirmed In God We Trust as their national motto. And then they added a line to it, which said, encourage the public display of it in every school and government building. Well, this is very strategic. So what we did is that we implemented then In God We Trust Put It Up initiative. And uh, so we brought together 
together all of our congressional leaders, and now over 24 states have also, our, our state legislators have passed in God We Trust legislation, and many of them have included and required it to be go up in the public schools. It's very difficult to tell a student that you can't talk about God when in God We Trust That's is right. across their classroom. <laughs> That's right. And so then That's what we've done is that we worked with our allies and our networks. We put together the toolkit and said, this is how you can get it up in your schools. This is how uh, law enforcement agencies are now putting it up in their decals. Over 26 states have it on their vehicles or on their on their uh, uniforms. And what we do is we provide these toolkits on in addition to... So we also have almost 3 million decals and displays up we all across the We put out thousands of them through right. our staff yeah. That's right. school. And, and you, we've got a huge banner in God We Trust <laughs> lit up in our auditorium. Well, we send that picture out trying to encourage the other churches and other organizations. The Look at what suit. Andrew Womack is doing in God We Trust up permanently on yeah. your auditorium. I saw you making some facial expressions during that clip there, Paul. Gary. Well, you know, these these are professional communicators who have a game plan. They're funded. They're organized. They have these communication lines. They have, you know, the the show that they were on, it was uh, like a preacher. And he, he's one of these guys who founded a Christian college. And so, they, like, they're, they're playing the network. They're playing it. So And in South Dakota, they have In God We Trust signs. At their in their schools already. Their schools, They've yeah. already voted them in, and they are on the wall. I'm looking at a picture of one right now. Okay. Christian nationalism on the march. It's coming to a state near you. So what does this mean, Paul? What do you think? Well, this, I mean, this is what I think anybody who understands what the separation of church and state is all about uh, fears most. This is what they fear most. This is where you get fascism, essentially. This is These are the, the roots. These are the seeds. You get police that have the mottos on their uniform. You get it in your schools. You start to instill these kinds of ideas into children. The separation and segregation that's going to come from this stuff if it passes, the polarization in the schools themselves. Yeah. Um, this is how you get to those types of... Well, this is how you get a fascism, a, a fascistic government in place. This is These are some of the things that you have to do. You have to start passing laws that demonize certain groups, take away their rights. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. you have to start inculcating children with these ideas. You have to get it you know, mottos up on the wall. This is why Kim Jong-un's face is on everybody's wall. This is why they want stuff like In God We Trust on the wall. The dictator they want of North Big Korea. Brother looking at you at all time, and they don't want you to forget that there's something all-powerful watching you. <laughs> and then when you have questions, because you don't know what's going on, there will be somebody at the school to tell you exactly what you should and shouldn't do. Right. There'll be no protections. Uh, no. Well, that's that's a, a bleak prediction of a fast fascist takeover. By Paul, Paul's the predi- Paul the predictor. Well, these are the Paul the seeds. prognosticator. These are the seeds of fascism. I mean, when you see theocracy in pra- in practice, and you look at regimes that use theocracy, like like what these people are suggesting, you see the mass. I don't want to say enslavement because we don't always see people enslaved, but like I, I don't know what else you would call all women in, say, Iran who are not allowed to show any body parts in public. It's not slavery in the sense that we had here in the United States, but it's a form of slavery. It is the kind of uh, suppression on a level that's so vast and on such a large scale that massive percentages, big percentages
percentages of the population are there affected by it. And well, for the worse, they're not affected in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. I would. The quality of life in these places are very low. Sure. Especially for women and children. For, pe- for people who don't have privilege in the country or in the local culture. I'm not sure that I agree that like, or that I would consider that America is heading in the direction of fascism or likely to become fascism. But I think that because America is so diverse and we have 50 states and they all have their own policy and local policy. And I think that the more of these types of pieces of legislation that are enacted more broadly, there are people who are going to be in living in those jurisdictions infected by those laws who are going to be hurt, you know, whether it's well, we'll trans people. localized fascism, essentially. We might not get a national fascism within the first thrust, but are you saying that it's not possible well, for us to become fascist? Well, there's no predicting the future, Paul, and I don't want to get into that shit at all right now. Um, of course, no, it's, just saying, it's possible. Are, are you saying that you don't think it would be possible for us to become fascist? Are you saying... I'm going to say no, I don't think it's very likely in the near future. Okay. <laughs> Is that qualified enough response? I don't I don't know. I was just curious because... I would say, yeah, it's pos- anything's possible in the future. You know, um, we always, there's, there's no telling like what horrible things our country might go through that could cause us to want to give up the, the idea of personal libertar- liberal, personal liberty, personal freedom and freedom of conscience and stuff. But I mean, I, I could hypothetically think of like horrible enough search scenarios that people give up freedom. Like, I mean, I've seen a few examples. Mm-hmm. Like, when the Patriot Act was passed, and sure, you know, our our, we've, our constant attacks on our Fourth Amendment rights to be freedom f- free of unreasonable search and seizures, you know, that's like diminished tremendously in the last few decades. So, um, yeah, of course, uh, hypothetically, I could see it. I don't see it. Like I said, I don't see it. Likely, what I what I see is a lot more likely is you have a lot of places like Georgia and Missouri. It was Missouri might become the first state to have no abortions, no legal abortions, uh, if you know, if they can shut down their last abortion clinic. And legislation like this, a climate that is, you know, a, a fertile place for these this type of legislation to grow and this type of attitude and culture to develop is gonna is gonna be one that is hurtful of other you know, they, they talk about religious liberty, but it's like you know, these these measures are uh, the measures in Project Blitz are like uh they're there to protect religious liberties, but it's kind of like the the liberty to be liberty to be a dick and just say it's because of my religion. Like, oh, you you don't you love that person who happens to be the same gender? Well, too fucking bad. You can't be with them. Like, what kind of horrible shit is that? You know. Well, see, the thing is, is there is no there is no uh, prohibition right now for anybody to say you don't deserve to be married, or I don't think you should get married, or you can't marry that person. They can say whatever they want. Sure. And this isn't going to change that. This legislation isn't going to change what they can say or think. They can say and think whatever they want. They can be as bigoted or sexist or racist as they want to be. What this is going to do is actually take away the rights of everybody else to do what they want to do. Mm, that's what I mean. And that's just a bizarre if you can dis- position to want to take and call that religious freedom. Right. If, if the government this is fascistic in nature. Is if what if the government protects your discrimination against gay, gay or queer defining people and allows you to discriminate against them all you want, then yeah, it sets up two different classes and it sets up, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. It's uh, kind of fascistic. That might be one way to describe it. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I'm seeing a lot of this emergence of fascism anyway in in sort of the Trumpistan current political landscape. Demonizing one group while trying to control a power grab with another group is 
is bizarre and we should be looking back to our past and the past of Europe to determine where we're headed because it's it's we can go back it's a far yeah. right movement and whenever you go to the far if you go to the farthest far of the far right the last word you'll find on the spectrum is fascism I gotcha and the more we move in that direction and the more they have a group to demonize like the Germans demonize the Jews we're demonizing anybody that comes from the southern border and implementing these tactics to separate them from their families and so on this is all i think this is all intertwined i don't i don't think this is a coincidence that's fine yeah i don't know it uh, i agree with you in principle what i disagree with is when you start calling people so people fascists they're like oh there's this name calling their arguments are no, I'm not irrelevant calling. I'm, I'm not saying you're you're saying a fact and if someone happens to be somewhat fascist and you call them that um i don't know if that's if they happen to be somewhat fascist and I call them fascist, mm -hmm. isn't that just calling them what they are? Minus the Maybe. term somewhat. I mean, if you're somewhat fascist and I say, dude, that was kind of fascist. Yeah. Am I just calling you a name or am I pointing out the fact that you're a fascist? I don't know. It seems like it's just going to, it's going to shut conversations. Like if I say, well, how many conversations if I say, do you want to have with a fascist? Not many, but <laughs> I could talk to people. Look, I'm not saying we shouldn't have conversations with fascists, but they should know that they're fascists. Okay. And I'm, Look, my gram my grandma is not a fascist, but she loves like that show that I found those quotes from. I watched the whole thing. It was an hour long program from Andrew Womack, who's this Christian guy, and he says all the Christian stuff and he uses all the Christian tropes, and he's a big happy dumb guy. Well, he's he's, he's smart because he knows how to make money. But the bottom line is, my grandma probably watched that program, and she might have seen Randy Forbes. My grandma's not a fascist, so if I say, "Hey, that person you like is a fascist," my grandma's gonna say, "You're wrong. Let's never talk about this." Again, that's my point of view. So fascism, yes, I agree that it's alive and real. It hasn't gone away. It's been around since before Roman soldiers were marching across Africa. You know what I mean? It's been around forever. Um, just like socialism has been around in one form or another forever since like... Yeah, but socialism since, and fascism are so, not anywhere near the same. I, yeah, I wasn't even saying that. I'm just saying fucking libertarianism and personal rights have been around forever. You know what I mean? Uh, they're just... Uh, it's like the war on terror. The thing that always drove me bonkers about that, Paul, it, terror is just like a tactic. It's like you can't have a war on uh, flanking movements or something. Well, that's just because they couldn't say a war on Muslim fundamentalism. But I'm just saying it's 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 just a nonsense concept. And so like, we should get rid of fascism. It's just not even a thing that's possible. It's like, we should get rid of the number. Who said? We, we should get rid of prime numbers. I don't know. It's just a weird. I just said, I think this is fascistic in nature. I think that what we're seeing is the Christian right taking it as far right as possible in, a, in order to be able to forcibly suppress any opposition to their position. Well, I so think that, that would be the ultimate goal. If yes. they want to discriminate, if they want to suppress, if they want to repress, if they want to take away people's rights, they do not want anybody to be able to oppose that. And so they will forcibly suppress those voices, those people, those minorities. I get you. I think I believe that's ultimate goal. And that's goal. why it's a fascist. Well, for, fortunately, it is still America, so people can like stand up to that and fight it. And and that's why I don't think they're ever going to achieve their ultimate goal of like domination. Well, they have a president. Yeah, but so? They had Bush. They've they've achieved their goal like many times. No, they no, get no, people no. in power that are so powerful, and it pushes them. We're so far to the right right now. Yeah, that's true. Okay, that that, okay, fine. Actually, has a way so, to like that's why that's real teeth, which is why I'm so concerned. I think that's it. why. Yeah, that's why I'm concerned about it as well. That's why I yeah. think it is.
is effective is because the the culture out there has been pushed this way to being more accepting of it. So what I would like to consider, Paul, is if nothing else, just as a thought exercise to get us thinking about it for the future, mm-hmm. what would be an appropriate and, uh, what's the word, proportional response from a non-belief point of view? Well, I, th- I think there's this, I, I, I kind of bounce this around in my head often, and I'll bounce it off you and see what you think. I think it's coming to a point now where two presidents now have been elected against the popular vote um, or in opposition to the popular vote. Both of them were right-wing fundamentalists. Trump isn't necessarily ideologically a right-wing fundamentalist, but he's a puppet. He, he'll do whatever they want. And he, and says, he, he says the right words. Well, he's done all the stuff they want. So they, they got him in and now he's there. And Pence is really the backbone, right, for him. What do I do, Pence? What do they say I should do? And Pence says, here's what you should do according to all of the constituents that I got behind you, right? I mean... Well, they hold prayers... I mean, they're in the in the White House. Well, know. the Supreme Court justices, all the other appellate court justices that he's assigned, and all this other stuff. So anyway, all the all the, all the judges, sure. From the non-believers, what should our response be? Well, I think what we can do, obviously, at minimum, is speak out against it, at minimum. But I often wonder, at what point do we consider ourselves under threat? Uh, I, is that a rhetorical? You want an answer? Constantly. I, it's always not, It's not the answer. Is, it's not rhetorical in one sense, and it is in another. But when do you think we should actually consider ourselves under threat? I think we've been under threat the whole time, since before the, we were having this conversation, since right. before we were born, Paul. So then at what point do we take this threat more seriously and stop talking and start doing all yeah in in the past event me a time machine and go in the past and start in the past because we're already behind okay so at what point do we stop just doing things like talking about it and doing science marches that nobody attends and at what point do we start doing something to actually undermine all of this i mean okay go you ever heard you ever heard the saying it's like if you want to beat a devil you have to become one sort of yeah okay but you've heard something similar yeah, yeah i don't know if i've heard that exactly one, but yeah. Okay. Well, when you're fighting the devil, the saying is, is that you have to sort of become one yourself, right? So at what point do we, I mean, at what point do we arm ourselves and start waiting for them to come to our houses? Because well, that's what essentially, if they have their way, we will have to have some kind, at least as far as I can tell, and this might be wrong, but there's going to be some kind of military thing that'll have to happen. I mean, are you talking are, about Civil War II? These are like gun-toting, crazy white nationalist supremacists uh, and neo-Nazis. I'm going to stop you right there. That's I, the group of people that wants this kind of suppression. There are people, sure. Um, I, I think there are people who want Civil War too. They want it to happen. It's already like out there. There's already many long discussions about the topic. And I'm there are people There are people who fantasize about it. Just to be clear. I'm just saying at what point do the free thinkers and liberals well, I and, just, I don't, serve, or, and, and, and uh, in terms progressives of, in terms actually of, take this threat seriously? In terms of standing up to like Project Blitz activ- type activities, the infiltration of religion into our government to to it's like slow moving the theocratic takeover i'm interested in standing up to that if you want to as far as like discussing like violence and fighting i think that's it's so far out of this discussion that it's not really relevant okay in a hypothetical you could you could take it to more extreme I'm not conditions hypothetical i'm asking at what point do we recognize this for the threat that i think it is i mean if you look at who the group is right the far right Mm-hmm. They're almost completely encapsulated by a couple of, of key things. They're very closely uh, associated with NRA and gun ownership and Second Amendment rights. And they're almost all packing, right? They have guns. They subscribe to these bizarre conspiracy theories where they think that Trump is going to com- you know, put us under martial law. I, don't know, I think you're talking about a minority. Other stuff. 
A lar- it might I don't be a, think so. A These are people that people. got Trump elected. I don't think they're that small of a minority. I mean, I don't think, for instance, I don't think that these these folks, the folks we're talking about on the prayer council, wait, the, are, the Congressional Prayer Caucus or the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation. Sure, those Either folks or both. Both. I don't think they're that far off from that same ideology, that same commitment to far right wing Christian fundamentalist politics. And what do you get when you go to the far right? You get white nationalism, neo-Nazism. You get these movements that are generally very Christian, very Protestant in, in many cases. And and you've got fundamentalism all over in that whole group. I mean, yeah, the, I think you're you're like pro- painting. Oh, I think you're painting overly broad. Why? I, I don't know. It's like you you're conflating a lot of different things, like neo-Nazis, and people who love guns a lot, and I don't. You just conflated a whole bunch of things, and there, there are, you know there. Are, are, I'm saying there these are, are there are you're that gonna, if these you, if far you, right groups have in common. They're generally radicalized by uh, Christianity. Well, listen, if we if they we, generally have a if we preserve to the and if we preserve the rule of law in this country, they generally hate gays. They are suppressive I, I, towards women. I, so what, what do you what do you are you say are you predicting civil war too? No, you asked what what do I think our response should be to this type of behavior and these types of groups? So we should arm ourselves and I'm in, curious, in preparation for civil war. Too. Is that what you're saying? Because we, the, what, no, I mean, I don't I, know what you define. You're not even as. listening to me. I asked you, what do you think? When should we start taking it seriously? And I was going to ask you what we should do about it. And I was, I'm, I'm saying these are the facts. The facts are, is that. Well, what, what's your solution? The right wing has all these groups. And okay. these are the groups that are conspiring to elect presidents and to get prayer caucuses passed and all this stuff. The big overarching umbrella is that 40% of the electorate is fundamentalist Christian and 80% of of them voted for Trump and all of these representatives are right-wing Republicans. Okay. These are the people that they represent. So that's fine. All that stuff, like, I get it. What do you think? We've we, established what you, that. What do you think I should do? Or what's my solution? My solution is that we should start at the very least having conversations about what actual actions need to take and how severe those actions okay. need to be. I'd like is to do that. Is this something we could vote people out? Or do we actually need to worry about arming ourselves? Are these people actually getting to a point now where they're seeing a tipping point and a, a, and a point of no return where we're actually going to be under fire. I mean, are you going to be happy when they take away your rights? Are you actually going to stand up and fight for your rights? I, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, you sound like Alex Jones right now. You're you like, understand. they're coming for your rights. Dude, are you not reading? Okay, look, let's say... No, 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 listen. Are you you asked a real question. I would like to I'd like to answer well, your question. Well, then stop talking about Alex fucking Jones. <laughs> the prayer caucus, okay? Look at... Here's the thing. Where's this fucking... Like, you asked I a question, a but you're, you're not actually having conversation you just want to get into all this rhetoric no i'm not getting into rhetoric okay answer the question then which question you're not even listening that's what i'm saying dude that's you don't even fucking listen you you're too busy hearing catchphrase words that you don't like and responding to that you just talked okay you just talked about a list of stuff that they want to pass in the government that's going to take away your rights and the rights of people you know let's say those things pass and now you can't marry whoever you want you can't dress however you want you can't go where you want and every public school or building you go into it says in god we trust and so on and so on and so on what are you gonna do what are you prepared to do that's what i'm saying we should have that discussion on I'd like this to. side on the free people side the free thinkers side the libertarian or not libertarian but the the liberal side right the progressive side we should 
should at least have a discussion about what we're going to do if they get what they want. Can we do that? Like you've, you've been ranting about like we need to arm ourselves because there's real danger. And what am I going to do? I'd like it, to have that discussion. Replay the audio. I never said we should arm ourselves. I pointed out that they have people who are very into the gun culture. They have very fundamentalist. Uh, very we have people who are into the gun culture. Like it, it's not proportional, but I don't. It's not anywhere near proportional. But anyway. I don't know. I, I, I if, I'm sure there are more gun owners than you think, Paul. More people who enjoy guns. I haven't done the research, but I, I don't think it's very proportional. That's fine. You're probably right, but I'm just guessing. I'd actually like to have a conversation. Like I think you and I could have a productive conversation about things that like actions to take. I'm trying to have one, but you don't want you don't want me to talk. <laughs> you say I talk what? like Alex Jones, so I guess I'm Alex Jones now. So what do you think we should do? I told you what I think we should. Yeah, yeah. Sh- what do you think we should? Give do? me a second, Jesus. It's like talking to my ex-girlfriend, Paul, and you, I get, you give me about as much action. Um, well, I don't know why you started dating her in the first place, <laughs> dude. You never if saw, she never, you never fucked you, boobies. I would have not dated her. Oh, I, and you've never seen beginning. my boobies, so she's given you way more action than I ever will or have. Um, one thing I think we should do is I, I would agree with you. We need to have more conversations. For example, I did not know that Doug Lamborn uh, was the Colorado representative who represents the freedom or the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation. Yeah. And I think enemy it, in our midst. Another thing we need to do is be able to have these conversations without turning on each other and attacking each other, Paul. I think that's very important. Replay the audio and see who attacked who first. <laughs> I will. I'm going to edit the shit. And as far as what comes after that, I think we need to... Well, I'd be interested in figuring out some kind of model legislation from our side. Model legislation that emphasizes the separation of church and state. You're right. I'm being hyperbolic, but I mean, that's why I'm asking. Should we have a conversation about how seriously we should we should be taking these? Yes, we definitely should. And like, I don't think we should go immediately to talking about guns. I think for the purpose of considering and standing up against Project Blitz, um, it's something no, something you could consider. It's, just, there's nothing wrong with that. Just to be clear, I, I'm saying, is it time for certain groups, maybe not you, because it sounds like you don't want to talk about it, but is it time for certain groups in our community to have those discussions about guns, about the violence that is potentially going to happen based on what these people say? I mean, just last week, I think it was, or it might have been two weeks ago, uh, a major Christian fundamentalist leader went on record on national TV saying he thought violence was inevitable. Okay. That if they vote Trump out or impeach Trump that he predicted, and you know how these guys say this stuff tongue-in-cheek, he predicted that there would be violence from his group, the group that he represents. Now, to me, I read between the lines there and I say, okay, he is calling for violence. He may not be doing it on national TV right this second, but he's like saying, hey, look, don't don't mess with us because we've funny. got the people and the guns and the ideology and we're all in line waiting to go to paradise or wherever they think they're going after they shoot a liberal. So I, I'm just, he just I'm he, wondering if it's something I, we shouldn't just slough off and I don't actually know, get to the bottom of. I don't know who that guy is. He sounds like an asshole. I'm going to remind you of in, uh, I can't remember exactly what year it was. It was sometime during the Obama years. One of the elections, there was a, a candidate in Nevada called Sharon Angle and in one of her campaigns or rallies, she was talking about Second Amendment remedies. When the government doesn't listen to the people, they people have the power to resort to Second Amendment remedies, which I'll, you know, read between the lines. It means taking a gun and shooting somebody you don't like. It's, it's, I don't think what this guy says is very important, whoever the fuck he is. It's, well, it's, it's, it's somebody, it's somebody who's, so you, it's somebody, it's that. somebody whose arguments are weak and they're going to rely on force because their arguments won't win. And that's not a, how America works. It's 
if if that does, oh, I worry that we're headed down a path where that is how America well, works. Lots of people are worried these days. It's the age of being if worried. You didn't want to hear my fucking answer? <laughs> then give your own answer. That's my answer. I I'd say that for this conversation about Project Blitz, thinking about guns, I, like it's very interesting that you go there, Paul. I don't think it's really relevant to addressing Project Blitz now, considering that there's the the likelihood that all these armed people could take up those arms and commit violence against fellow Americans. Why are we even talking about it if it's not relevant? Let's get back on point. Fuck you. <laughs> That's bullshit. Well, you keep interrupting me, so let's just get on point. You want to talk about politics? Okay, vote against this guy in Colorado. That's my answer. What I would like to consider is why is it that this religious group is organized in such an interesting way? And atheists, there's there's nothing that you could compare as far as I as far as I know. You have like the Freedom from Religion Foundation, and they have a whole network of people who yeah they who, who look for they look for abuses and try to stand up to it through the courts mm-hmm. and through and through just public awareness. Yeah. You have, you know, uh, there's like a, a group called Wall Builders or, sorry. That was... No, sorry, that's... Project Blitz thing. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. mistake. I meant to say that Americans United for Separation of, of Church and State. Yep. They're, they're organizations. Um, so... Supporting them would be a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. So it's something that, like like I said, I've put a lot of energy and interest in researching this. And so I would like to find out if there is an equivalent. Is there model legislation that helps, you know, reinforce church-state se- separation? Is there civics... Is there model civics education for children that teaches about, uh, you know, liberal personal freedom... Our personal rights, you know, rather than religious rights, uh, inequality, and you know, rather than the the seniority of a religious viewpoint. And is there a way to have an equal platform as far as money? Um, that's something that I think all atheists should be concerned about. How do we punch at that that level of the millions of dollars nationally that's that's needed to counteract this stuff? So as far as so as far as like what I can do right here and now while I'm making this podcast, that's not really changing anything, but. I'm going to continue to learn about this stuff because it's fascinating. And if I can't find any model legislation, I might just write some, <laughs> Paul, because I read I read almost all 150 pages of the Project Blitz, and it doesn't nothing in there seems that hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just spending the time, spending the brain power to come up with it, and then trying to get other people to to pick it up and believe it. So, can I stand up to Project Blitz myself? No, but just like they're doing, they're building a network of people. And I think that's something that atheists, athe- I think atheism or secularism or something like that, it, it needs to be a cause that people can get behind, the way religious people can fall in behind their minister or behind their thought leader. They're, yeah. they're um, you know, atheists we don't follow. We're, that's what makes us different, and that's why we left our religions in the first place. So how the hell do we organize against, you know, but is freedom a good enough thing to organize behind? Is human rights a good enough thing to organize behind? Like, what's it going to take? for us atheists to actually stand up and and, and and I don't mean in a line with guns and shoot each other but to to keep this lens to keep it separate to keep church and, and state separate all right. Well, there was our deconstruction of Project Blitz. If you listen closely, I think you can get a good idea of why I ultimately stopped doing podcasts with Jesse. He's a good guy for sure. And he has a lot to bring to the table. But it, it struck me as odd that he was asking me for my input and then talking over me, interrupting me, sort of trying to undermine the points I was trying to make or trying to shut me up. Uh, he was a very uncomfortable with anything 
everything that I brought up. And so I just didn't feel like he brought a lot to the table in that way. He, he wasn't really interested in engaging in the topic. And when I took it to, well, are we under like direct threat? Like, should we be worried for our lives? Should we be worried for our security? He wanted to say I was propagandizing like Alex Jones, which I, you know, I don't think I am. I think I'm, I think I'm hearing propaganda from the Alex Joneses of the world. And I'm wondering how serious do we need to take this? Now, this podcast was recorded before the insurrection on January 6th. I wonder if I had a follow-up with Jesse, if he would consider me as much of an outlier in my concern for real violence from the right. Now, there's a whole series of podcasts I'm going to do about violence, uh, my position on violence, my uh, my position on whether or not we should be preparing for essentially like a civil war or, or what. Just as a quick note, I am not pro-violence. I'm not pro-gun. I'm not pro-violence. But I'm going to get into the real nuts and bolts of what I think about that in the future. But I think this ended up being a pretty good episode to show you why I don't know that Jesse really gets what I'm trying to do in my show and why while this was sort of his show, this was what he brought to me for another show that we used to do together. And I kept finding myself getting frustrated. He he continually interrupts me. Not that that's that big of a deal, but it's difficult to express yourself when somebody won't let you speak or when they interrupt you. And he would get petty and kind of, you know, pissy, pissy during the show. So I think it was odd too that he tried to bring up early in the show how important or how dangerous Project Blitz and the group's surrounding them were, but then throughout the show, he would undermine the severity of Project Blitz, saying, well, that's not that important, or that's not going to get anything done, or whatever. And then he would say, you know, these are the things that I'm actually worried about. And then when we discuss how worried should we be, turns out not very, even though he's saying, you know, we're, we are under threat. We were, we're behind the ball on this. We're losing, in other words. And, you know, I'm not really sure that he was taking this all that seriously. I mean, I know he was in his own mind or whatever, so I'm not trying to undermine him completely, but it's difficult for somebody to take somebody seriously when they keep saying, here's what the enemy's trying to do, but we don't really have to worry about that. Don't worry about that. You know, or that's not that big of a deal. That's not going to succeed. And there was, there was some fumbling of the ball here throughout the episode where instead of getting into the particulars, he just sort of gloss, you know, glossed over it. He, you know, he sort of failed to describe the def- details of the different acts because, you know, he didn't know them or he didn't prepare to discuss them. He basically read an outline out loud. So the outline anybody could get online about what Project Blitz is, he basically read that bullet point for bullet point. So I I was kind of dissatisfied with his level of understanding of the content and the material. I thought it was kind of interesting and, and funny that we got into the fascist conversation. And I think it's well understood now that Trump, uh, you know, is a fascist and that the right wing movement that he is the head of is fascistic, or if that's even a word, but they're a fascist movement. I don't think that that's really a surprise to anyone. I think at first, the first couple years, uh, people were throwing that word around and nobody had really caught on yet. They didn't recognize the fascism. Um, But I think it's been pretty well documented now how much of a fascist Trump and his movement and, you know, the Trumpists and Trumpistan and all those guys are in the right wing. So he was getting mad at me for throwing around that word as if it was not appropriate. And (laughs) he used the phrase somewhat fascist. (laughs) Like, like, uh... It was just odd that he used that phrasing. I love somewhat fascist. It, it sounds like, well, I'm kind of trying to throw you a bone here, uh, but eh, I don't really love that word because it turns people's brains off is what he was trying to say later. And then, you know, 
I point out the si- the silliness of what he had just said, and then he starts talking about his grandma, and he says, you know, his grandma isn't a fascist, but she listens to fascist propaganda and agrees with it. So while I I think I think what Jesse ended up doing here is shows how when you try to have these conversations sometimes people in their minds hear you insulting their grandmother. They don't they don't hear you talking about Trump and the politics as being fascist. They know somebody that follows Trump or listens to the propaganda or is heavily into the church or whatever and they hear you calling them a fascist and they use funny words like well they're somewhat fascist or or this person said something somewhat fascist and I think I think if we were going to re-listen to the audio and listen to what Jesse was saying about his grandmother we might think she is a little bit or I guess somewhat fascist right probably not somebody we need to worry about but certain some certainly somebody that's going to be you know voting fascists into power as many folks did with Trump and with the other people that surround him and and generally I think now it's it's fairly safe to say that the right wing itself has gone fascist I mean it's not a hundred percent it's not across the board but this connection that I was making in this show where Jesse gets like threatened by me and and starts to show it and during certain interactions or whatever and how he's sort of close-minded he he said at one point you know I'm gonna stop you right there it's like whoa 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 (laughs) it's like no let's explore the topic if you want to show how I'm wrong then then explain to me what's wrong with what I'm saying but if you're just gonna try and shut me down you know I'm not sure that that's gonna get anywhere I'm not sure that's gonna get anybody anywhere if we can't have this discussion and then he goes on to say that he wanted to (laughs) actually have the discussion it's important to have the discussion even though he demonstrated in the discussion that he didn't want to have the discussion he kept talking over me cutting me off and so on telling me that I'm gonna he's gonna stop me right there so instead of engaging with the material and whatever he wanted to just shut it down now interesting too is why he took that there why why he took it to well they're not fascist they're just somewhat fascist and then my grandma listens to them so and she's not a fascist why take it there exactly we're either talking about people who are fascists or we're not and if you're a listener of this podcast and you wonder well I wonder what it would have been like to live in a fascist country uh you now know it's a lot like this uh you know hockey season still goes on it still snows and rains uh it's still your car still starts in the morning and you still go to work but your government and major groups huge groups plot project blitz size groups amongst you are actively working to segregate your children from you know religious to non-religious and it this is what i tried to touch on in the show but kind of got interrupted it's like you start putting in god we trust everywhere and you start saying and heightening the importance of christianity in our government and in our civic life and the history of christianity as the history of humanity you start heightening that importance and what do you get you get single-minded troops essentially all marching to the same beat in the same direction you know in the same order and you get specific explicit directions which project blitz gave us how to suppress homosexuals how to suppress people who they're deeming as sexual deviants how to suppress those that don't fit into the gender norms the binary norms that they're they're proposing are actual the actual real quote-unquote way to live or, or or the the actual you know the way god made us right now what what do you think happens to those groups what do you think where do you think they go in the end of this this legislation i'm starting to wonder if maybe they get little bands on their arms and they have to go live in slums until we can figure out where we're going to murder them i mean if you want to know what it must have been like let's say in 1938 in germany or maybe later 1941 it was probably a little bit like this there were probably groups of 
of people trying to legislate against other groups of people. And that is the fascism that I was trying to point out. We are either going to create a nation that allows for all people and upholds their rights to be individuals and to be groups and to have their beliefs and their systems, or we're going to be a nation that picks one system and belief and then imposes restrictions and impositions on everybody else. And if we go the latter route, we will become fascist. That is fascism. <laughs> That's part of the definition, right? Now, granted, the, the word fascist has been hijacked to some degree by the left as something that they lob at the right. But unfortunately for everybody in the country right now, it seems that that charge, that specific charge, is a lot more true than it is false. And if people like, you know, in the Big Lebowski or whatever, are getting thrown into the back of a car, spilling their drink, and they say, you fucking fascist, uh, that's sort of an example of this left-wing ridiculousness where people throw it out for any reason. But if we're talking about the actual right-wing movement, that is the word. That is the thing that we need to recognize in ourselves. In ourselves. I, I'm not trying to separate myself from the fascist at this level. I'm certainly trying to separate them uh, myself from them in my ideology, in the way that I think, in the way that I want the country to be run. And I'm certainly not a fascist, but I'm an American. And I have to take certain responsibility for the fascists in this country. I have to be somebody who's willing to go toe-to-toe, head-to-head with them and recognize that they came from the same place I did. I have to empathize with them and see part of me in them. They are, after all, human. We've, we've talked about this before with the El Paso shooter. These fascists are human beings, and they're human beings that were raised in the same country that you and I live in. And so we are responsible for them. Now, if you don't live in the United States, you probably aren't responsible for these fascists. You're responsible for the ones in your country, and, and there are probably fascists in your country. If there's a group right now that's sort of trying to war with other groups, saying that certain people are not real people, or they don't deserve the same rights as everybody else or whatever, those are the fascists. Those are the folks that you're going to want to fight against. Now, when I say fight, just to be clear, initially, I mean talk, argue, vote out, right? Because here's the here's the real truth of the matter. If you use your power to vote and you vote in the correct people, the people that are going to uphold individual rights and human rights, not under the guise of human rights and then turn around and be a fascist, not like the right does in, in the United States. See, the right in the United States, they say they're for the freedom, individual freedom, but their individual freedom is the individual freedom for a fundamentalist Christian to indoctrinate children, or it's the individual freedom for a fundamentalist Christian to single out whole groups of society and not work with them, not allow them to engage in the economy, not have to inter intermingle with them or, or interbreed with them or anything like that. It's about segregation in the right. It's what the right is trying to do is they're trying to prop up our freedom to exclude large groups of people from our society, to alienate. That's the point. Now, they're going to bring in a whole bunch of people into the fold when they do that. But imagine those are the two groups you have to choose from. Imagine that the right wins. And now you've got the Christians and the non-Christians. Let's just try to make it simple, right? Okay, well, if the Christians are in power, what group are you going to go jump into? You're going to go jump into their group, right? You don't want to be in the ghetto with a band around your arm. You want to be in the group that, you know, has all the power and money and the ability to engage in the economy. Now, I'm not saying that if fascists take over that you should become a fascist. But what I am saying is that nobody really would blame you if you did. That's very human to do. You jump on the winning team. If there's one thing we know about humanity, it's that they don't like to be losers. And so if they see an opportunity to better themselves, they'll do that. So 
The battleground, the real fighting that we have to do is to get these people voted out and get people voted in that actually want everybody to have the same rights, that actually want everybody to have the same ability to exercise the same rights in the most, you know, the lowest common denominator situation, whatever situation that is. If, if it's in the economy, that means you get to go wherever you need to go and buy whatever you need to buy. And people can't just reject you because they feel like it, right? That little sign that says we reserve the right to reject anybody or to not serve anybody is bullshit. You don't reserve that right. If I walk into your institution and I haven't done anything threatening physically or in any other way threatening or disturbing to your business, you will serve me. That is your job. You are a business owner. You serve the public. This is this is the same issue we talked about in season one, episode three, where we had a discussion where I had a discussion with a white supremacist about gay rights. Now, let's, let's clear the air. In conclusion, uh, I believe, if I'm correct, that this is the last episode episode that I have with Jesse in it. Uh, I think this episode dis, you know, sort of demonstrates why that's the case. I also think that it also shows how good intentioned Jesse is and that he is certainly somebody that if you're able to find his podcast, whatever podcast he may or may not be on at this point, he might be worth listening to. He might be somebody you'd want to go check out. Um, but he's not going to really fit in the system that I'm trying to create. And I'm going to just leave you with one reason why. He stated specifically, let's have a mind experiment. And then when I started engaging in the mind experiment. He tried to shut me down and silence me and interrupt me and so on and saying I was crazy. That's not what I'm up to on this show. I'm into having the discussion. If somebody comes on my show and says, I think we should arm ourselves and start fighting. I want to say, whoa, really? Why? What are? What do we have to gain or whatever? And that's what I was trying to spark in him. Let's have that discussion. Let's talk about arming ourselves. When would the right time be? Do we have to wait until fascists are marching in the street or or what? What, what, is, the right, what is the right time? So, as you've heard in other episodes, especially in season one, I set the goalposts in my mind experiments, and then I try to move them around a little bit based on interacting with other people, having a truthful dialectic to try to find what is more true or most true, or why what I just said, granted, it's extreme, but why what I just said might be incorrect or wrong, and why? Why is the key? What are the, What is the evidence that demonstrates that what I'm saying is wrong? And if you can't find it, then is that what we should do? For instance, if Jesse couldn't, and he didn't, he just tried to shut me up, but if he couldn't demonstrate why I was wrong to think we should maybe arm ourselves in light of people saying they're going to commit violence against us, if he can't demonstrate that that's wrong, then maybe that's what we should do. It seems like if you propose something like that and somebody can't show that you're wrong, then maybe that's what you should be doing, especially if you can demonstrate that it's in self-defense or that it's in relation to another group who's actively threatening you. So again, I'm not saying that I think that's what we should do. That's going to be a topic for another show where I'm going to have a very serious deep dive and see what the what the real what the real parameters of that kind of thinking are. I tried to do that in this episode and we didn't get anywhere. So that's unfortunate. But look for that in in future episodes. Don't look for Jesse cuz you won't find him in future episodes. But I just want to say thank you to Jesse for the opportunity to have this conversation even though it didn't go too well <laughs> at some points. And uh, again, I wanted to reiterate that I was very sick and uh, grouchy and a little punchy and uh, didn't appreciate being interrupted all the time. And so I lashed out too. I I, I bear a role in, in the failure of this conversation and I accept my, my place in that role. I should have been better. I should have listened more and supported him in a more in a more sort of genuine way. But I think this was sort of towards the end of our friendship and I think you can kind of see why. Anyway, if you have something you want to say to the show, you can email me at earseductionpodcast at gmail.com and thank you so much 
much. This has been Ear Seduction. <laughs>